0: and the host of this show. Jason Grant Smith wrote, directed, and edited I Voted, which premiered at the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival. Executive producers for I Voted include Katie Couric and Oscar-nominated Regina K. Scully. Jason has performed voiceover work in numerous films and television shows with credits including War for the Planet of the Apes, Deadpool, Avengers, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Iron Man 3, Avatar, and House of Cards. In addition to his own documentary work, Jason also consults filmmakers on their documentaries. And Carol, I understand Jason is a donor to your grants.
1: Oh, yes, Claire. He has donated a consultation to all three winners of the 2017 grants. And Jason, we sincerely appreciate your joining us. yes, of course. thanks for having me. Well, I want to get started. There's so much I want to cover today about your work and how how you help documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. um, now, you the film I voted uh won the Roy Dean grant back in twenty thirteen. It seems like a long time ago. Uh, But tell us how, (laughs) doesn't it, uh, how did winning the grant help shape your film? Well, one thing that it did, it was
2: a little, uh, it was a boost in terms of a third-party validation. And what I mean by that is somebody else liked the idea other than me. (laughs) I mean, documentary filmmaking is such a solo adventure. Uh, or it can be, and it, it certainly was for me, and it's a very, it can be a very isolating experience, and when you're working on this, oftentimes you have no idea whether or not what you're doing will be interesting to anyone other than you and maybe your dog. So uh, to have, it, it, it forced me in many ways to put my ideas together in a way that would be coherent for others, so that it wasn't just random thoughts, but it was something that was, had a had a, a little bit of a structure to it and sent it your way. And having that um, and certainly the boost of being able to have access to uh, the prizes within the grant was hugely uh, advantageous in, in the effort because I was able to consult with others and, and, be able to just widen the scope of what it was that I was doing and bringing others in and collaborators. And that led to other things too. Like I had somebody that I was working with from your grant that introduced me to somebody else. And it just, those types of things kind of, uh, it was, it was gathering, gathering more resources and that, and that was hugely beneficial in the process as well as, you know, quite frankly, at a a basic level, it was a bit of a, a boost in terms of encouragement and enthusiasm to have you on board really meant a lot to me because we connected early on in the, in, in my process and you were so encouraging and I you know, and that was just great i mean that was really really helpful for me in my process
1: well thank you jason cuz i think what you did is so inspiring to all of us that it took a oh, lot thanks. of work to fly across the country and get all of that information for us it's amazing um, that I remember the scenes where they were rolling in voting machines. That it was early morning; the sun wasn't even up, and they drove the truck drove off, and the doors were left wide open, so anybody could get yeah. that in there. <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, in many cases. Um, well, you know, it's always about. I think in this industry, it's who you know, Jason. So the grant uh, you get to meet a lot of people who donate to the mm-hmm. grant, and those people. Are, have been in the industry for a long time, and they're here to stay. And so are you. So it always works out that they can become long time relationships, right? Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, one when you look at um, people who they collaborate with, you look at somebody like Martin Scorsese. He has the same editor. I don't know if he's still working with with Selma. I think it's Selma Schumacher, But I, 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 the people work with the same people because they become family.
1: Yes. Exactly, And you
2: develop that's a language what, and you develop a shorthand for working with people. And so once you have that, it becomes easier to communicate. And that's what this is all about, is being able to communicate your ideas.
1: Exactly. Well, uh, you must have done a very good job in communicating your ideas because you've premiered at Tribeca. So congratulations. I know it's really hard to get into that festival. Tell us about it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it was a, obviously a huge thrill to get that notification that I'd gotten into that festival, and it became a bit of a race to try and get everything in order. Once I got the, um, the spec sheet of what it was I needed to deliver to them, uh, it, was, it was a bit daunting to try and put that together very quickly. And uh, it was just a, I was going through it actually a year ago right now, and it was uh, it was like being shot out of a cannon. <laughs> it really was. Right, Um right. To be able to be in New York and be with these other filmmakers and have your film premiere on the big screen in Manhattan at Tribeca just thrill of a lifetime. Sure. Oh my goodness. And it was well received, right? People seem to like it. Yeah. I mean, I was I was really you never know until it plays in front of an audience and what kind of response people are going to have. But I was really heartened to have people laugh in the right places and gasp in the right places. And, but you never know. You never, you you really just don't know how it's going to turn out. And I was thrilled to have people
1: like it. Yes. Well, um, you also got Katie Couric on board. That uh, was wonderful. And um, so tell us, how did that happen?
2: Well, Katie um, is married to a high school friend of mine. And I, when I met her a few years back, uh, I had mentioned the film to her and she wanted to see it. So I sent her a rough cut of it. This was a few years ago. And uh, she responded saying, I want to be involved in this. Oh, wonderful. Which was, yeah, which was great. And um, I, w- I didn't want to say no to that. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> right. So...
2: So she was really, really helpful in the process and had some great notes for me and and helped me shape it.
1: Terrific. And Regina Scully helped you with it, too. That was lovely.
2: Yeah, Regina was great. She was incredibly encouraging. And uh, I had a couple of other executive producers, Mara Sandler, who's been involved in a number of films, and Wendy Abrams, who's involved in a number of important issues. And uh having that type of support, all of my executive producers were women, so I had this female energy helping propel oh. all of this as well. So oh, that's I think wonderful. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean yourself included. I, I you know, I, I find that, that um the yin yang of doing this was uh <laughs> was very very helpful in the in the process.
1: Good. Now uh, in addition to your own film work, you also work as a consultant for other documentarians. Mm-hmm. Tell us what uh, your cons- consultations cover. Well, I in the in the six years
2: of making this, I, of of making my own project, I started in 2010 and I didn't finish until last year. And as a friend of mine said, I got to go to film school and make a film, and I only had to pay for one of them. So. um <laughs> right. What that was able to do was is it was a, a very intense learning process about all of the different aspects of what you need to do in order to start with a concept and get it to deliver it to film festivals, to iTunes, to Vimeo, to theatrical audiences, and there's a lot of moving parts to that. And there's a lot of technology involved. It's not just about, you know, they don't call it show-show, it's show-business. There's a lot of business aspects to it as well. And so navigating all of those different paths um, requires a lot of information and learning information. And so I feel like in in the time that I was working on this, I was able to gather and learn so much that I thought other filmmakers could benefit from this.
1: Right. Um, sounds. I'm definitely sure they can. Um, so what stage in the process do you like to get involved with other filmmakers? When, you, when do you think they should call you?
2: It really depends on the needs of the film, actually. I mean, if some people want to bounce an idea or they're trying to figure out how to take an idea that they already have and execute it, or maybe they've got something that they've shot a lot of footage for and they're trying to figure out how to put it together um, – or they're in the final stages. They've already finished the film, everything's completely done, and now they've got to get it up on the video-on-demand platforms, and they're not sure what's involved in doing that. Because there's a lot of people that will tell you a lot of different things, and the amount of information is overwhelming. So it really depends on uh, – I-, I can get involved in any stage in the process. It, it really more depends on the needs of the filmmaker in the project.
1: Okay. Okay. Um... All right. Well, let's, let's go back to uh, someone who has an idea. Uh, how do you determine if there's really an audience for the film? In other words, what, uh, what can you do to take an idea that uh, someone has or help them decide if they really should put in three to five years to make it and have to raise maybe $300,000? Yeah. That's yeah. a big commitment,
2: Well, you know, the first question that I would ask somebody is, do you like the idea? And what I mean by that is I know that sounds like a really basic question, but it's a really important question to answer because, like you just said, you're going to be spending a few years of your life on this. And I think people sometimes enter into these types of adventures thinking this is a great idea that others will like or others will resonate with. Not thinking so much about, well, how do I feel about this? I mean, one thing that's been really interesting for me about, about this, um, about I Voted, is I've never been bored of the topic, ever. I've been working on this intensely for a long time, and I'm never bored with the topic. So you better be sure that whatever it is that you're diving into, that it's interesting to you. And you're not looking at it as, well, I think this is a good idea. That it really right. has to resonate with you, personally. And my, I mean, my litmus test is basically if I find this interesting and I find this compelling, I think others will as well. And you have to figure out what's, it, what's interesting to, about it to you. Like for me with voting, basically my, my film is about how do you know your vote is recorded as intended? When you go to the ballot, what actually happens to your vote? That disconnect of exporting democracy around the world, which is what the United States does, and we consider ourselves the gold standard of democracy, but we don't even protect our elections here at home, that intellectual disconnect, for me, has been compelling every step of the way. So there has to be some type of hook, some type of angle or window in that's making it interesting to the filmmaker. Because if the filmmaker doesn't buy into it, there's really nothing there. And I also think it's a great idea to tell other people what it is that you're doing. Because if you can get other people engaged in what it is that you're saying, then maybe you do have something. And it's got to be simple. It's got to be something that you can say in just a few sentences. Because if you have to go on and explain it, then the, the idea might be more complicated than you can do in a documentary.
1: Right. Right. That's great. Well, um, tell us, um, give us some ideas on, on what you learned uh, and what uh, you wish you'd known when you first started your film. I wish I had known
2: how much... I didn't know about what it is <laughs> I didn't know.
1: <laughs> oh, I always say that I understand what you mean. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. I, this is true.
2: <laughs> you know, I've heard I, every now and then you go online and you see like the success, like what the uh eight traits that all successful entrepreneurs have. And one thing that you'll (laughs) see oftentimes with successful people is the ability to pivot and the ability to make changes, dramatic changes, quickly. And I think that oftentimes, one thing that I like to do in terms of my process is I always like to be the dumbest person in the room. And what I mean by that is if I'm working with somebody on graphic design and I know more about it than they do, I'm probably working with the wrong person. So I like to surround myself with people that are much smarter than I am about whatever it is that I'm doing and ask a lot of questions. And I think that's something that's really, really, really important is don't, you can have a vision for something. And what I found is when you collaborate with people, people, if you're working with with good collaborators, they do want to support your vision and they hopefully don't have a commitment to being right. And you don't, you don't as a filmmaker, you don't want to have a commitment to being right either. And you do want to have a sense of what your film is. For me, I always found it was difficult to sometimes, to sometimes explain what the film was, but I always knew what it wasn't. There was a Supreme court justice. I forgot who it was who said about an obscenity case in the sixties. I think it was in the sixties who said, I don't know what obscenity, I don't know how to define obscenity, but I know it when I see it. And that's how I <laughs> felt about the film. I wasn't always sure what the film was, but I always knew what it was, and, and I knew what it was when I saw it or when something was executed. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really the best that you can hope for, is to be able to have some type of vision that you're able to explain to others in a way where you're encouraging their talents and you're getting the best out of them. Right. I don't know okay. if I answered the question. I'm forgetting what the question was now. <laughs>
1: the question was, uh, what is it that you wish you'd known when you first started the film? Oh, I think I, I think I wish I'd known.
2: I mean, boy, I know this is going to sound odd, but I wish I'd known everything that I know now when I first started. Obviously, I couldn't have had the journey if uh, if I'd known everything then. But I think, I mean, basically, at a gut level, I think I wish I had... I uh, had more patience with myself. I mean, it took a long time to do this, but I think, I think there was an ability that I, that I was able to get toward the end of oh. relaxing about problem solving. There were so many steps along the way where there were problems that would come up that seemed like they were catastrophic to the film. That was like, oh, no, this is going to ruin everything. And then things get solved. So I think it's a certain degree of patience of saying, okay, let's, let's step back here. We don't need to panic. And let's see what the, what the challenge is and how we solve this. Because a lot of this, at the end of the day, is problem solving. It's just yes. problem solving. It well, might it be business. creative problem solving. It might be technical problem solving. I mean, obviously, in the initial stages, it's creative problem solving. What's the movie? Mm-hmm. What's the story? And then you get into the technical aspects of – well, how are we going to get our 2997 progressive footage into a 2398 timeline? You know, then, then you get, (laughs) then you get real technical, but they're all, they're all challenges and some, some of them can't be solved. And then trying to figure out, well, if I can't solve this, what's the workaround?
1: Right. What's the workaround? I know when I was running my business, I wanted to start a new branch back in the seventies and, um, And a man said, oh, I'll teach you that whole business. He was an engineer, and he understood videotape. And uh, he said, I want $50,000. And I said, no, my gosh, that's outrageous. But, you know, three years later, I looked back and thought, I should have paid that. Because yeah, I had made so many mistakes during that time that I lived through, and my customers all lived through. But I, it would have put me on easy street because I would have had somebody to pick up the phone and ask questions constantly. So I well, do actually, think you know, that's a, that's a great help.
2: Yeah, that's and you know that's a great point. Is that um, if you there are situations where you can do it yourself, and then there are other situations where it does make some sense to pay somebody to do something because that frees up your time and resources to do whatever else are the other needs of the project or your life
1: yes and especially having someone around who has done it before and can give you mm-hmm. guidance on what the next step is and what the pitfalls are in our industry there's so many avenues to go down for almost everything you're planning to do and it's which way to go in many of these and cases. in you know in addition to that
2: carol there's a lot of cottage industries that are based off of making money from what you just described for example you'll have people that say they can do A, B, C, and D, and maybe they can or maybe they can't, that's fulfilling a specific need that you have that you could have done on your own with just a little bit of research. Or, you know, like I said, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, so it can be difficult to know how hard is this going to be. I would oftentimes say to the collaborators, I don't know if this fix I'm asking you to do is simply flicking a switch or if it's rewiring the
1: house. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So you really don't know how much money you should pay for something like that, right? Well, it can be, yeah, I mean, that
2: can be challenging because people will always be very happy to take your money, but you just have to make sure that they're doing what it is that you, not only that you need them to do, but also maybe sometimes ask yourself, do I need this person to do this? And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And that can be the difficult question to answer in many cases at every step of the way.
1: Right. Well, tell us some mistakes you made that others could learn from.
2: Oh, well, one one mistake, I I, I often joke with the editors I was working with, if there is a piece of archival footage that you want, that you know is going to be in the movie, get it.
1: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Get it get it early on because while you can do – like, for example, one, one mistake that I made was I had a rough cut where I had um, low-res archival footage from various stock houses or something online and that type of thing. And then having to put that together very quickly, sometimes that archival footage wasn't available anymore. Or, oh, my gosh. Uh, really? Oh. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, because these stock houses, they're oftentimes licensing footage as well from filmmakers or from wherever. So there might be a piece of footage that you downloaded a low-res comp of something and you threw it in your movie, and then it's not available anymore. Oh, my gosh. So if it, yeah. And it also just makes your life easier to, if it, again, if it's something you know that is going to be in the movie, and sometimes you don't know. But if you know it's going to be in the movie, it's like, this is definitely going to be in the movie. Get it early on. Get it mm-hmm. Get it when you know you've fallen in love with it, because then that's just one less thing you got to check off um, at the end of the day. The other thing that I would definitely suggest is work backwards, meaning what is your final deliverable going to be? Because everything needs to lead toward that. For example, if you know that you're going to be making, if you're going to be screening this in a movie theater or at festivals, you're going to need a digital cinema package, a DCP, which is what they use to play the film in a movie theater. Well, if you've shot your film in 2997 Progressive, you're going to have a tough time getting it into the format that's required for that deliverable.
1: Okay, so so you have to, to solve that problem then, right?
2: Yeah, and that's, I mean, if you wanted to take something, I know this is starting to get maybe a little bit technical, but if you take, if you, if you shot in a specific format and that's not going to work for the ultimate deliverable that you're going to have, you're going to have a very difficult situation on your hands that might, might not be able to be solved. So I think it's really important to work backwards in terms of what is the end deliverable going to be. And then you determine how it is that you're going to get there because chances are in documentary, you're going to be working with a lot of different mixed media. You're going to be working with all kinds of archival footage from all kinds of different places. You might be working with stuff from the national archives. You might be working with stuff from different stock houses that, I mean, I had, I remember I had one piece of footage that was shot in uh, on a European video system and I had to, transform that and into a way that was going to work for my movie. Right. So when you're dealing with mixed media, that presents all kinds of challenges as well. So you want to know what your final deliverable is, is going to be. What format do you want that to be in? And then everything leads up to that so that you have a path.
1: Exactly. So then you would really need to know where you want it to distribute it, wouldn't you? You'd need to know something about your distribution avenues up front. Well, it's
2: a good idea. I mean, you know, you were asking a question earlier about, like, is there an audience for this? And it's 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 really, really important. And I know you've had other guests talk about this, about this idea of core audiences. Who is your core audience for this? And it doesn't mean, I think, or at least in my opinion, it doesn't mean you make the movie for them. But it's good – if you're going fishing, you should know where the fish are. And uh, <laughs> That's right. it's, so it's, it's a good idea to determine, like, what those audiences are and where they live. So I think in today's world, and by the time we finish this interview, there will probably be a new distribution platform. But right now, right. Video, video, documentaries basically live on video on demand. And the three main platforms for that are Amazon, iTunes, and Vimeo. Um, I would say, are three of the main platforms for that. I mean, you could also do YouTube, but that's very difficult to monetize. Um, and all of those have their own specs for uh, delivery. You're going to be presenting okay. them with different, different versions of the film uh, at the end of the day. Like, for example, I mean, not even just from a technical point of view, but, for example, on uh, iTunes, you can't have a URL in the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: like I, I mean at the end of my film I put for more information go to and I put my website on it for iTunes you can't right. do that y- you so can't you put have a to URL pop- oh, okay. yeah and if, and you, you, have to if edit you don't that know out. that going in yeah you have to mm-hmm. edit that out and you know once you finish something doing additional editing especially if you've already done your sound mix and everything those things can get complicated so it's a really right, good yeah. idea to know what's required at the end or at least certainly as you're getting towards those end stages Before you, you know, when you're making, like when you buy something from Ikea and you tighten all the nuts and screws at the very end, um, before you tighten everything, you need to know that you've lined everything up correctly and that you're ready to tighten those things. And that can sometimes be a bit challenging.
1: (laughs) Yes, well said. Um, Okay, so what do you think that first-time documentarians might not know that they do need to know?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that first time documentarians know that uh, passion and energy is a great starting point to work off of. It's a great place to start and you have to have that. And there's no question that if you started right away with the realities of documentary filmmaking of the cost attached and how difficult it is and all that, that could be very daunting and stop you dead in your tracks. So I think it's really important to harness that passion and energy that you have about the idea or the process. And then not too long after that, really dive into the specific mechanics of what's involved in making a documentary film. And there's all kinds of resources for that, myself included. And I remember you gave me your book, um, The Art of Film Funding, and had interviews with all kinds of wonderful people. And you can go online and you can look things up and see how other people are doing it. It's not that hard to do that, but it's really important to not only accept the realities, but also embrace them.
1: Right. You have to realize that this is the way it's going to be. And I have to learn how to handle this or find someone yeah. to teach me.
2: Yeah. And you know, I, I, at the same time though, you know, one thing, one thing to answer, to more specifically answer your question, I think that sometimes, and I know I experienced this as well, is if you, 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 one might enter into this thinking, I need producers, I need so-and-so to produce it. At the end of the day, you're always going to be your own best producer. If it's your film, you're always right. going to be your own best producer. And you're going to be your own best agent, and you're going to be your own best marketer. And in many senses, you're going to be your own best really everything with the film maybe not the composer maybe not the editor but you're going to be your own best advocate for the film always so to think that you can get a quote-unquote producer involved that's somehow going to take it to another level and you can you can sit back a little bit I think that's a little bit uh, of a myth yes for the most part I can't say that that's always true but certainly for a first-time documentary filmmaker that's going to be the case
1: exactly I, I talk to the filmmakers every day, and, and they say I'm just looking to find that one person. But the truth is um, that a friend of mine that lives near me, and she's a writer, and she had closed demand on the money to make the film that she wrote. But she sent hmm. a producer in to get the check. Well, when the producer walked out, he got a check for his own film, not her film. And that that's what's going on all the time. People, Everybody has their own project that they're working on, and so, yeah, they may work for you to make a living, but their project is really paramount in their life, so you're always going to be secondary, and nobody's going to have the passion you have, right?
2: Well, that's definitely true and um there's only one person waking up every day certainly for the for a first timer and oftentimes for an experienced filmmaker too you're going to be the only person every day that's figuring out how to move the project forward because when you stop the project stops right and i think that that's a reality that can be difficult to embrace and And one thing that's tough, too, is this is so people will think to themselves, this is so good. This is so interesting. Why can't I get anybody else involved or interested in this? And it may or may not be because it's not a good idea. But it's also because, like you said, people have their own things. People have their own projects and everybody's busy. I mean, my film right now is competing with cats pressing little bells to get fed. You know, there's this like viral video of cats (laughs) pressing bells to get treats. It's like, that's the competition. So it's tough Uh to get people's attention. And, you know, you got to pick up your kid at soccer practice and you got to take the dog to the park. So your film is competing for people's attention. And that might be to just even watch the film or to take a look at a rough cut. It's very difficult to capture people's attention. So, if you're going to spend three to five years of your life on something, you better find that really interesting, whatever it is that you're working on. And don't do it for anybody else other than yourself.
1: Right. Absolutely right. Well, what truths must documentarians face?
2: Oh, that's, yeah. Well, one, one thing is be endlessly interesting. Make sure okay. your film is really, really interesting. Because if you, if you don't have a page turner and you don't have something that's really interesting, you're going to lose people and you're going to lose interest and you're going to get discouraged. And it can be difficult to figure out what's interesting unless you do share it with others. I mean, you have to one, – one thing that I found was uh, when people would say to me, what's your film about? I'd say, when you, when you vote, what happens to your vote? And people say, I have no idea. I'd say, well, that's what my film's about.
1: <laughs> well done.
2: And I love then it that when response,
1: you questions. Yes.
2: Yeah. And, and that's, and, and I think that's what it is. I mean, the, the film be a documentary or narrative is just an endless asking of questions. That's all it is. The story is like, what happens next? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen to this person or in the documentary? What's happening with this issue? Um, What is this issue? And so it's got to be to some extent a page turner. And if it's not, if you're not engaging in that dialogue with your audience, you have to engage your your audience in a dialogue. And if you're not effectively doing that, you're not going to engage people. So, I mean, I know it sounds a little silly to say be interesting, but if you're not interesting – yeah, I mean, there's no question that to have a film that has any degree of success, I think it has to be a decent film, but that's not the be-all and end-all. It, it takes a lot more than just to have a good film. You have to figure out how to get it out into the world. And that, and, the, and when you said, like, you know, what are the, the realities of that? Some of it is money. There's no question some of it is money. Passion will get you so far, but money is also a big part of it. And getting people to part with their money Uh, can be very challenging in documentary because there has to be a reason of why somebody wants to be involved. And chances are, it's not a return on their investment that's financial. So if you can figure out why it is that other people, what it is, what types of returns would people want to be seeking that aren't necessarily financial? How is this going to be a benefit to them? If you're going to get others involved and especially if you're going to get other collaborators involved that aren't going to be working at their standard studio rates, I mean, there were a number of people that I had as collaborators that were working for far less money than what they would get paid by HBO or Paramount um, because they liked the project and they liked the idea and they wanted to have their name on it and they wanted to be involved with it. So if you can create something that others want to be involved with, I think you can get a lot of energy galvanized around your project.
0: Yes,
1: that's very smart. Totally agree with you.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, well, what uh, myths about documentaries would you like to dispel? Because there's a bunch.
2: <laughs> well, one of one of my own myths was when I started the process of, well, how hard can this be?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's
2: it's it's really tough. It's 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 very tough. But I think the the myth is I mean, I don't think that there's a myth around that it's easy to do. You know one thing that's happened with technology is it's sort of democratized the ability to make a documentary. You can shoot a film on your iPhone if you want it. Um, yes, it doesn't mean that it's going to be good necessarily, but it could be done. And you could get it out into the world. You could shoot a documentary on your iPhone, put it up on YouTube, and the entire world could see it. doesn't mean that it'll be good, doesn't mean that anybody will be watching it, but it can be done. and that couldn't be done. 10 15 years ago so that aspect of of um the process is really interesting because there's an ability to get it out into the world but i think that um uh when you're asking about the myth is that uh that simply because you can do something you really still have to focus on is there any there there Is this interesting? Because the ability to do something doesn't mean that you can do it effectively. So I think it's really important always to stay on point of, is this a story worth telling? Is there anything here? And certainly in in documentary today, I I don't know that this is a myth necessarily, but I think it's so important. The trend is, is steering in the direction of issues that there's a problem that, um, that there's something that we're facing that needs to be examined or looked at or something about the human condition that needs to be examined or looked at and that it's not necessarily about doom and gloom or painting a picture of something where there's not a solution. I think it's really great that so many documentaries now focus on issues while providing solutions at the same time.
1: Right. Because I think
2: people are looking for that. I think people are looking for solutions – not just for their own lives, but for society as well. We're facing so many, so many difficult. we're in tough times right now. I mean, I guess times are always tough, but we're facing so many challenges right now that people are looking for solutions. And I think that they look to documentary now as a form of of journalism that is, it provides the ability to go in depth on issues that you're not going to find on on standard media outlets.
1: Exactly. And so- you I are think, the last vestige of journalists that we have. The true reporters are documentarians. I think that there's a truth to that.
2: I think that there's definitely a truth to that. And it, it's for the question though of the myth is that um, I think the that ye, I don't know if it's really a myth necessarily, but it's really an acceptance and embrace embracing the harsh realities of it's not a, it's not enough to have a good idea. You have to execute that idea, and you have to figure out how to raise money to help further execute that idea because money is the lubricant that makes all this happen. It just is at the end of the day. Passion is a huge part of it, but certainly money is, is really just a necessary factor within all of this.
1: Right. So do, not only do you have to ask yourself, uh, "Is will you be passionate about this three five years from now, can you really devote your life to it? You have to say, can you find the money to make this? Will there be donations? Will there be grants? Where are you going to get the money, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You You have to ask yourself that. And it's not easy. I mean, boy, you've written a book about this. It's not easy. It's really not easy. And there might be people or institutions that you think this is a no-brainer for. You know, like, for example, with my project, which is about democracy, there's all kinds of organizations and 501c3s that are centered around democracy. And I could approach the Democracy Foundation for a Democratic United States, and they might say, well, we don't do documentary film, though. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> right. uh, if you're and if you're not right in the sweet spot for a foundation or a grant, you're not going to get it. you got to be right in their sweet spot. So it's another example of for funding, you know, not just your audience, but for funding, you got to go fishing where the fish
1: are. Right. And you were very lucky in that respect. And I know you worked hard to make it make yourself lucky, but you were uh, you were at the right place at the right time because you got some strong people to support you, which is great.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's no question. And that, you know, that's another aspect of it that luck luck does play a huge role in it. I mean, I'd love to say one is always responsible for creating their own luck. And, you know, there are situations where of course that is true that you do have to create your own luck to some degree, but uh the, General manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers once said that luck is the residue of design. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, but then there's sometimes just luck. (laughs) There (laughs) just is at the end of the day.
1: Well, speaking of luck, what did you learn about yourself while you were making the documentary?
2: Oh my goodness. Uh, I learned that when when you stay focused, and you stay passionate and you stay rational about what it is that you're doing, you can do more than you thought you were capable of. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in the process, especially toward the end where it just felt so overwhelming and so daunting and so many decisions had to be made in such a short amount of time that I'm still not exactly sure how I navigated that process, but if you really stay focused and you don't allow all of the noise around you to throw you and you stay committed and you stay on point of what got you to that place that you're, that you're at or what's kept you grounded in the process, be it friends, family, pets, whatever, to really stay true to that because it's, there's so many things that can throw you off track in the process. And Mm -hmm. there's so many people that will, I don't want to say want to throw you off track, but everybody does have their own agenda. And it's just so important to have, to really have in the back of your mind always why you're doing this. To really have a good sense of what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you can't answer those questions, maybe you shouldn't be doing it.
1: Exactly. That's in my book. You know, that's one of the first things I say is, why are you making this film? And I want you to write it down because you're going to have to look at that two years from now when you wake up one morning and say, what am I doing? You're going to pull that paper out and say, "Okay, that's what I'm doing. And So it's quite possible.
2: It's quite possible that I just said that based on having read your book years ago and I literally plagiarized you in front of you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Good. Oh, that's the best form of flattery. Believe it. It's lovely.
2: Oh my God.
1: Well, tell me how you marketed. I voted.
2: Well, obviously, having um, getting into Tribeca was a huge help, and that put me on the radar of a number of people uh, that were interested in the in the film. And then in addition to that, it's been aligning myself with some of these core audiences. Like for me, it was getting the word out there to different organizations like the League of Women Voters and various um, common cause and different groups that are interested about the specific topic that I'm covering. So that's been, that's been a big part of this. Um, the marketing, you know, marketing a film is, is tough because uh, you're competing with Superman versus Batman. <laughs> you right. know, that's, and of course the cats pressing the buzzers to get the treat. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really important, I think to uh, build, build advocates for the film that'll help talk about the film too. I think that's a really, really key component is to build word of mouth. That's really helpful in in documentary is to get people talking about it. And there's all kinds of ways to do that with using social media and having, you know, it's sort of like there's a ripple effect of having the rock thrown into the pond and then the ripples that go out from that. That's sort of what marketing I think for a documentary looks like to some extent and trying to make, is the biggest splash that you can and then capitalizing on that at the same time and keep the energy going and keep the buzz going because these things do have life cycles that can be long or short based on your passion and commitment and your ability to hook others. Cause it's not magic simply, you know, like I was saying before, simply making a good film, isn't good enough you have to figure out and you have to really keep your nose to the grindstone of getting it out into the world and it's making a lot of phone calls and it's sending a lot of emails and talking to people and keeping that going and and, and it's another example of where if you think that you're going to find that right person that's going to be a better advocate for you than the film there's a good chance you're wrong
1: exactly Well, on the distribution of I Voted, um, are you selling uh, the film for screenings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm actually
2: working with – I work with Tug, which I know is a platform that you're a big fan of. I think you've had them on the show before. Um, Yes, I love them. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. I mean, they're really, they're a dream for documentary filmmakers because it's sort of a do-it-yourself form of distribution that allows you to be in movie theaters and allows you the ability to have your film have the type of life that you want it to have. I mean, these days, unfortunately, documentary film doesn't really live in movie theaters, or if they do, they're, it's a Michael Moore film that's in the theater for, not a huge amount of time. Um, No disrespect to Michael Moore, but it's, it's tougher for any documentary filmmaker to poke through uh, the traditional theatrical platform. So a lot of this is through tug. I think a lot of what's going on right now in documentary is through tug and these one-off screenings in various locations and having core audiences support the film in that way. So that allows you to screen in a movie theater and get it up on the big screen and hopefully have that word of mouth translate into your video-on-demand sales at the same time.
1: Right. Exactly. No, I think Tug is a great way to do it. So, And you're, so you're happy with them, right? Oh, they've been great. Yeah, and I
2: work with them for their educational market as well in terms of getting into libraries and high schools and universities. And that's really an important market for documentary filmmakers to get into as well and to be exploiting all these ver- various markets, um, that, that are open to documentary as well. So that's as overseas. New. That's a whole so other you're ball of wax.
1: Overseas too. Oh, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Did sure. you get a, a international distribution?
2: We're in the process right now. Um, and hopefully something is going to happen. Uh, soon, but, uh, but that's another, because my film is so American centric on the U S voting system. I think there might be limited, uh, appeal internationally, but you never know. The Russians oh, might I think, really like it. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think everyone would want to see what's going on over here. I think they look at us like we're very strange. We're in this goldfish bowl, and we do things in a unique way. So I think they would. I hope I'm right for yourself. I hope, okay. so, yeah, me too.
2: Well, me, okay, me, me so tell,
1: tell me some of the challenges for prepping a film for distribution.
2: Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, one of one of the huge challenges is knowing exactly what it is that your provider needs. Specifically, if you're going to go up on iTunes, what does iTunes need? What do they need this to look like? What is the, if you're giving them a uh, film in five, one uh, surround sound, what's the mapping of the audio channel? What can and can't be in the film. And that's going to be different for the different video on demand platforms. And one thing that you can do that filmmakers often do is they'll work with an aggregator that takes yeah. a percentage of the film, and, uh-huh. uh, which is fine to do. That's, that, you, there's a number of wonderful aggregators out there, but you pay a cost for that. You pay an upfront fee in many cases for them to do some of the work that you could do on, their, on your own or something that I consult filmmakers on, um, and then keep all of your revenues – you don't have to pay. Them. You don't have to do a royalty split with them.
1: Did you do that yourself, Jason?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I did. Good. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have I don't have an aggregator. I through an encoding house that I work with, um, got the film up on the various video on demand platforms and some of them I did on my own. Wonderful. So this is one of those things, this is another example of there are people that will be happy to take your money to do things that you could do on your own. So what I've been able to do is learn about those things, and now I'm passing that knowledge on to others of here's how you do it.
1: Oh, I know. This is so wonderful. Well, it's, it's, like you said, it's six years you've been studying this yeah,
2: project. <laughs> yeah, literally six years I've been studying this.
1: Well, all right, it's about time to close, but one more question. If you were to offer sure. our audience one piece of advice, what would that be? One piece of advice uh, i think
2: I think maybe the one piece of advice would be: if you don't start your documentary this year, you're going to be another year older when you start
1: it. <laughs> Get the let out. Let's do it, right?
2: Yeah. I mean there's really it's trite to say there's no time like the present, but it's true. And it's certainly worth exploring, and there's every reason not to do it. There is every reason not to do a documentary, and there is every reason that your documentary is going to fail. At the same time, there are people making documentaries and there are people making documentaries that are successful or have some level of success, and there's no reason it can't be you. And there's well no reason said. that it, and there's no reason it can't be done at any stage in your life. It doesn't mean you don't have to be 25 years old and if you're on the other side of whatever age, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. There no, you know in so many respects there's no there's no rules. The barrier to entry on this in many respects, of at least getting started, is the willingness that you have to have to get out of your own way. And if you can get past that, you can move mountains.
1: That's great advice. Jason, thank you so much for giving us all this time and energy and information. We sincerely appreciate it. So Claire, thank you very much. Oh it's great because with Claire and I want you back after of another 6 months we'd like to hear what happens with the foreign distribution and all the other things that you'll learn over the next 6 months right yes, Yeah absolutely. I mean every day is a learning process
2: every every <laughs> day is a learning process and if I could just add, offer one other piece of advice uh, to people is just be open to
1: learning Yes stay open <laughs> to learn Mhm always Okay. Thank well, thank in the you beginning so much, of Jason. the
0: show, said you said in the beginning of the show that you you wished you had learned you you knew what you didn't know and learn. You thought you knew everything and then you didn't and you just wish you already knew that you didn't know everything. So keep learning. <laughs>
2: Always. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you both right. very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Rakelin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at Davidrakelin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.